this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, joined by my co-host Nick. We're letting Dan sleep in on this one, Nick, because, well. We've taken up a lot of his time, and so anytime we have Matt Law on, it's always earliest for Dan. So it just it just seemed to make sense. I mean, it, it is a it's a six a.m. wake up for Dan. Um, so you know, a couple a couple of these off is is just fine. But uh, we do have we do have the big dog in uh, to talk about <laughs> things: summer transfers, uh, new season coming up in less than a month. So lots to get going on, Brandon. Say, Matt, this is just rolling from one competition to another for you this summer. Uh, Well, hi, guys. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying, I am actually, I'm interrupting a bit of a break for you guys because you're so special to me that I'll I'll do that for you. But um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, I I didn't stop after the Champions League for another sort of five or six weeks for the Euros. So I'm getting a little bit of downtime now. I'm trying to keep my, my sort of, headspace and a little bit of Chelsea so that when I come back I'm not completely cold to it all but yeah I'm um I need some time off now I think and is it going to be Chelsea Spurs again for you this season uh it'll certainly be Chelsea I'm I'm trying to uh, yeah I will be doing a bit of Spurs as well I'm trying to let Spurs go a little bit um I quite fancy doing a bit of West Ham in the Europa League as well as Chelsea actually I think that might be good fun I'm quite interested to see how how West Ham follow up next season. So I'm going to try and do, obviously, the majority Chelsea and then dovetail a little bit between West Ham and Spurs this season. Yeah, that's I mean, that's probably a pretty good mix for you. Have to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, Euros, what a, what a wild ride it was. Obviously, your your home team make it to the to the final at Wembley. Read your article about the. I would say probably the uglier sides of it. But overall, would you say that the Euros was a success? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it was a success. I think um, all the games, I went to all the England games, including over to Rome for the Ukraine game. And apart from the final, it was great atmosphere. It was great. It was good football. It was really nice to have fans back. It was just, it just felt like real football again, to be honest with you. Um so it was a positive experience, I, although I do have to say that the, the final did taint it quite a lot. I mean, the, the final was a horrendous experience for anybody that was there. And it probably should have been one of the best experiences in most people's kind of football lives, as it were, for people who were there, especially if you're English. Um, so that did taint it quite a lot, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, it was a really good f- sort of four or five weeks of football I think the standard of football was good. There were some good shocks. I thought it was an interesting tournament. And like I said, just having fans, proper numbers of fans back for the majority of the time was was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a tough way to end. Uh, obviously, the tournament was such a negative uh, kind of fan experience. We were talking to our friend Louis, who lives kind of over by Wembley Way, and he said that the the violence after the match was like till four in the morning. Um, very tough kind of scenes uh, to take in afterward. But um, yeah, just I don't I don't understand that part, Matt. I don't I don't get it. No, nor do I. Nor do I. I mean, you, you get lots of football fans around the world who who like a drink. You know, the Scots fans like a drink. The Irish like a drink. The 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 Dutch fans like a drink. The Germans like a drink. But for some reason, when at certain occasions when our guys have a drink, it all it all goes very, very wrong. But I mean, 
yeah, it was a real shame, but um, it was a good, it was, I don't know how you guys found it sort of watching from afar, but I thought it was a really interesting tournament. I thought it was a, a fun tournament. Oh yeah, it was, it was terrific. I mean, it, it was kind of what I think a lot of international fans needed after last year is just something to kind of remind them how good and interesting and entertaining uh, international football can be because it's not the, to the quality that we're used to in the Premier League or the Champions League, but it's it's a lot of fun. And I think, you know, passions rise even further when you're rooting for your country uh, than, than they might when you're rooting for your club. So, uh, yeah, it was a good reminder. And the World Cup is now only a year and a half away. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to look Crazy. forward to. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and pivot back to Chelsea stuff. In this one, we're going to touch on the, the youth exodus. We're going to talk about the striker Palooza and the start of preseason and whatever else we can pull out. So, Matt, uh, we actually just talked to uh, Phil, the man behind the at Chelsea Youth Twitter handle on Is that Sunday. his name? It is. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. You know what? Phil, wow. Good he stuff. Is, yeah, his account is excellent. His account is really, really good. It it really is. Um, and so we're super thrilled that he's able to come on and talk to us about it. So, uh, yeah, we got his take on it. But, I mean, I guess maybe from your side and covering it, uh, it'll probably be from a different angle. But the new trend, at least in the immediacy, is that the Chelsea Academy graduates are betting on themselves. They're not seeing a path forward at Chelsea. So they're bypassing the loan and looking to get permanent moves away from Chelsea. So I guess from your perspective, I guess, is is this a concern for the club or the club not concerned? Look, I think it's something that the club accept happens, you know, that it's, it's so I know this is a cliche, but it's so difficult when you're a club that's competing right at the top end and both in the Premier League and Europe. I mean, try and name clubs at, at, who really compete at the top end, who, who consistently always bring through their youth. And most have spells, you know, we, we there was a famous Man United class. We've just gone through a famous spell with, with Chelsea. Uh, Tottenham had a little spell of it a few years ago. Look abroad, Barcelona had a wonderful spell. But that, that's, you know, a lot of their youth now move and, and they're having to look again at it. It's just a really difficult balance in that for clubs who are competing at the top to try and keep a pathway or keep the carrot in front of these kids and yet also maintain results and maintain standards. And it's a, it's a catch-22. And the thing, the, the slight problem now that Chelsea have at the moment is because their record is so good um, in the last sort of 18 months to two years with, with the kids and how they've done, is that the reputation of Chelsea's kids has, has never been higher, uh, not just in England, but also in the rest of Europe. So... Kids who beforehand might have had a, a couple of options other than Chelsea when they're coming to renew a contract have probably now got double the amount of options, if not treble or quadruple the amount of options, because everybody, every club around Europe now is looking at that Chelsea Academy so hard and looking at, at, at players they might be able to try and get out and, and get to themselves. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, the kids themselves have seen that at the age of 18, 19, 20 that they probably can play certainly championship or maybe Premier League football. You know, Mason Mount's proved it, Reese James has proved it. So other lads who feel all of them with a similar quality are going to think, well, actually, I don't need to go and play in Vitesse Arnhem for a year. I, if 
I'm, I'm capable of playing in the Premier League. If they're capable of doing it, I'm capable of doing it. So the whole thing's come together and it makes for a very tricky situation for Chelsea. And they're just going to have to kind of swallow it. And, and it, it brings me back to, I remember Alex Ferguson used to say, um, when he was asked about the Man United youth setup and the pride he would take, he would always say that his pride was not just from the players who made it at Man United. His pride was counting through the amount of professional careers that Man United had started for players. And it was it was like insane, you know. Every player who had basically come through a United Academy at, at one stage had, had gone on to have a very high level of football. If it wasn't at Man United, it was either at another Premier League club or a championship club or an Italian club. And he took massive pride from that, that, that the academy was not just there in Sir Alex Ferguson's eyes to produce Man United players. It was to also produce footballers um, who might have careers elsewhere. And Chelsea might have to look at it that way. But the important thing for Chelsea is that they they always, you know, do whatever they can to keep the cream. And that's why someone like Lewis Bate leaving would be a concern for me if I was a Chelsea fan, because Lewis Bate is someone I've heard a lot about now for probably two years as being one of the really talented young players who's got a real, real chance. Um, and certainly a lad like him leaving would would set a little alarm bell ringing for me. So I, I think the one that caught a lot of Chelsea fans out, Matt, was Mark Gurhey leaving for Crystal Palace. That was actually announced a couple days ago officially, but it had been in the works kind of late last week. Do you know how this deal came about so quickly? I mean, it seemed as if he was kind of destined for life in a Chelsea shirt as well, and and then wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd heard for a little while that he was probably more likely to go on a permanent move with some sort of buyback option, which is, is, is there. They've got these matching rights. I think they've got a first option as well. So they pretty much got, in all but name, got a buyback option on him were he to leave Crystal Palace. Um, for whatever reason, he and his agent favoured that over going on loan again. Um so I, I did know that was probably more possible than a loan. I mean, the situation on him has, has probably changed with the change of manager as well. I mean, I, I was very much under the impression that had Frank Lampard stayed, that Lampard wanted him as part of the first team squad um, for, for this coming season. But obviously, Lampard's thoughts on the central defence were very different from what we see now. You know, a certain Antonio Rüdiger, <laughs> every likelihood he wouldn't have hardly played last season, would now be looking for a new club. So, but I, I think Mark would have been very, very prominent in, in Frank Lampard's thinking. And obviously, I think that's changed with the change of manager. Um, Crystal Palace is a really sensible move for him, I think. I, I'd imagine he doesn't have to move house. I'd imagine there's not much upheaval for him. Um, he will definitely play every single week. You know, they've had a massive turnover of players. I think 11 or 12 of their players are out of contract. Gary Cahill's obviously gone. And I think they're going to have a commitment to play younger players. So I think he will definitely play every week. So I think it's a very good move for him. I think Chelsea's matching rights give them an insurance policy on him. Um, a bit like they did on Nathan Ake. And I'm, I, I know Nathan Ake has not played a lot for Man City. I'm still staggered that, that Chelsea didn't ever actually end up bringing back Nathan Ake. But they, they have that similar insurance now on Mark. Um, so... Look, I know Chelsea fans will be disappointed to see him go, but at the end of the day, when when if if and when Mark gets to a stage where he outgrows Crystal Palace, Chelsea 
very much have the opportunity to bring him back as long as they can sell sell the opportunity to him. So um, I, I think it's a win-win, to be honest with you. I think that's a good deal. I, d- I don't think it's realistic to think that Mark would have come in and played for, for Chelsea next season under under Tuchel. Look how that defence did under Tuchel. I mean, he he built an incredible defence and someone like Kurt Zuma was, was spent a, a large part of the, the season, the second half of the season, sat on the bench. It's not realistic to think that Mark would have come in and played much. So it, it, I think it's a, a a real good deal for, for all parties, actually. The the other names being thrown on were Tina Livermento, Louis Bates, talked about the Miles Pert Harris. It just sounds maybe Bate going to Leeds. There's talks of Livermento having a lot of options. Um, Miles Pert Harris was kind of the new one, but I, I guess I'm impressed. A lot of these guys are going right to the Premier League as well. They're not potentially being linked with championship clubs. No, I mean, it'll be interesting what happened to Lewis Bate at Leeds because, look, I haven't seen him play much, um, but all the reports I've ever got on him are, are very high. People people speak really highly of him. And whether he can be in Leeds' first-team squad or whether there's a, a plan there for him to go on loan, I don't know. I'd be surprised if he was at... Because, you know, Leeds, Leeds will be attempting to finish in the top eight of the Premier League next season and they have good midfielders. So I'd, I'd be quite surprised if he was going to Leeds to play immediately. I think he's still only 18. Um, Livermento, I'm imagining, will be a bit disappointed because obviously Chelsea went in for Hakimi. They retain an interest in Adama Traore. It's clear that, that Tuchel wants to do something on that right side. So that has probably sent a message to him that there's not going to be a pathway for him. Um, so I'd imagine he'll be a little bit disappointed. And yet there's, there's Premier League clubs being being linked with him too. Although, again, depending on the, which Premier League clubs they are, I'd be slightly surprised to see him playing too much in the Premier League next season. Um, but, you know, if you've come through the Chelsea Academy now, you're, 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 you're a wanted man, even if, to be quite frank, and I'm not saying this about any of these lads, please don't get me wrong, but even if you probably haven't done that much or shown that much, if you're attached to that Chelsea Academy and you're coming out out of your deal, you're going to have a lot of interest now because they're they're super hot. I, I think one of the big concerns that we talked about with Phil is that you've been pretty consistent with the fact that it'll be hard to move a lot of the senior pros out of the team. Mm. It kind of looks like Chelsea are moving a lot of players just in general. The, the concern that we had was it seems like they're moving the up-and-coming young potential players and being left with more expensive pros that they can't move and it's going to kind of create this this cycle of buying 30 35 million dollar kind of squad depth players without the youth promotion yeah that, that's a that's a valid concern i do think that the fact i think a lot of agents and parents will have looked at the fact that the sort of frank lampard experiment as it were only lasted 18 months and then Chelsea reverted to type and they won the Champions League. I mean, so it was an in- incredible result. But the, the message is out there that, that you know, that at the end of the day, the, the youth promotion happened in the summer where they had a transfer ban and when they had a very specific coach and coaching setup. And the, the message at the moment is they've re- reverted to type. And you see that there, you would imagine that the, the squad um, evolution over the next few years will be very much to do with the transfer market rather than internal promotion, as you say. It, it looks more like that. I'm a bit surprised that um, that it, it seems at the moment, and look, this could change, 
because we're, we're not even in August yet. And, and as I say, I'm on a little break, so I haven't been making a lot of calls on it. But it seems at the moment as all those all those centre-backs with one or two years will, will probably stay and just either sign 12-month extensions. I thought maybe one of them might go uh, to create up a little bit of space for a little bit of promotion um, and have a younger player maybe. No, I, I didn't expect it to be to be Mark who we just spoke about, but I thought one of those might go and it, and it just create a bit more natural sort of order, as it were, but it... it it doesn't look like it at the moment where we stand today on, on July the, the 20th. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, this will be something that Petr Cech is, is very involved in. This is, this is not really the manager's job. Um, I know Frank was very involved in it and Thomas Tuchel, I'm sure, will, will have a say on it. But this isn't really Thomas Tuchel's job to look at this. This is the club's job and this is Petr Cech's job. And this is what Michael Emanalo used to do. And obviously... Marina gets very involved in, in the loans as well. Um, and Michael would always try and push rather than bringing in, Michael Emanalo would always try and push rather than bringing in a sort of squad player to try and give an opportunity to a young player. And he, I've got to say he was overlooked quite a lot. Um, and obviously Frank was very much of, of that opinion. At the moment, it looks to be going back towards, as you say, the evolution coming from the transfer market and maybe squad players being being bought. And I can see why anyone who's got an interest in the academy or anyone who's sort of got a passion for the academy would be a little bit worried about that. But that's not to say players aren't going to break through. That's not to say players aren't going to get chances because I think, if anything, that the club will have learned, you know, just if you just look at it in a pure business sense, every single player of, of Tammy, Reese, Mason, um, you know, the, the, the value they've put onto themselves. And of course, they cost nothing FFP-wise in the amortisation if you ever do sell them on. You know, if, right. if Chelsea's sign Tammy, it's it's straight into the... None of it gets eaten up on the FFP at all. It's fantastic. So they'll def definitely be aware of that as well and the, the very big pluses that can be had from, from trying to let a young player come in. Are there any other surprise players uh, that might pop up here as far as sales or loans go? I mean, I'm thinking of your Connor Gallagher's of the world um, and, and in, in an effort to raise funds for Holland or Rice or any of the big targets. No, look, the last I heard was that I think that they'd rather loan Connor Gallagher again. They're, they're reluctant to sell Connor Gallagher, whether if an offer came along a bit like Crystal Palace's where someone was willing to almost give them a buyback. Um, or a first option that that could be attractive because obviously you, you get that money in, but I mean they've already made a decent sum, haven't they? I mean if you take the Tamori deal, which is an initial twenty five rising to thirty, um, I think Mark's deal was was worth about sort of fifteen to twenty with with more to come. Giroud is is about two million with with more to come. You know, they've already made over over fifty million pounds, so they're not struggling. But what what they're struggling on is is the squad space and the everything else, you know, the, the, the squad's just too, until you get some of these players out on loan or out permanently, the squad's just too big. I mean, Danny Drinkwater's back training. He he played in, in the first, um, he and Ross Barkley played in midfield in the first friendly the other day I saw. So there's just a lot of players to try and try and shift off the books. In terms of surprise ones, I don't see a big surprise in terms of a, a massive surprise going out. I mean, I think it's probably become fairly clear that they would listen to offers for Ziyech. 
Um, but I'm not really sure where an attractive enough offer is going to come from for ZH because they definitely want their money back, uh, if not a little bit more at this stage. They're not going to let him go for less. And the the European market, which would normally be the market that probably teams would look at ZH, no, no one's got any money. It's uh, the, the I think, <laughs> that too. So this is where it gets tricky, right? Where you have to build the squad composition, everything like that. It just seems like Chelsea are ready to wheel and deal anything they can to potentially do some big things. Is I think at least that's how the fans are reading it. <laughs> Not 100% sure if that's it or the club just look at themselves like, no, that we're just operating like normal. They We have opportunities to raise funds. Like, why would we not? And obviously, knowing Chelsea, the good news is they'll be reinvested in the squad. That's one thing we don't have to worry about. Um, last question on the youth side. Any idea about Armando Broja's kind of role under Chelsea? Or do they just rate him so highly they want to keep him locked in and let him continue to develop? Yeah, I'd, I'd have thought another loan. I'd have thought another loan for him. Um, depending on what happens with the strikers, I don't, I don't get the sense that there's any great rush to to have him part of the, the first team roster, I don't, I'd, I'd have thought they'd like him around for quite a large part of pre, first preseason training if they can, just so that everyone can have a look at him and he can have a good feel of Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's highly rated. I, again, look, I'll be honest, I'll be surprised if he has much of a Chelsea career. Um, you know, Chelsea are looking at Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku. They've got. Kai Havertz, who, who can play a false nine. They've still got Timo Werner. It's going to be hard for him to have much of a Chelsea career. We, we may as well be honest about it. So I, I don't think fans should necessarily be holding their hats on on him getting an awful lot of chances. But, it, you know, the, the, often there's a there can be a little surprise. But I, th- I think that's probably the toughest of all. Chelsea are always going to want, you know, a leading number nine. It's toughest Tammy's found it toughest position of all to to break through and and hold down yeah no that's fair it makes a lot of sense all right we're gonna take a quick ad break when we get back we're going right into that that one Erling Holland player that Matt talked about another up-and-comer so thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back all right Nick I'm getting out of the way I'm gonna let you do the honors on this one (laughs) uh update 947 about strikers uh, at Chelsea and those who could potentially come uh Matt uh, we we have to talk about Erling Holland. Um, there's not been much we've seen in the news um, about any potential move. Uh, I think every uh, fake in the no account on Twitter uh, has said the same thing at this point, which is he's going to be expensive and that we <laughs> and that we want him. <laughs> so I'm really uh, hoping you can confirm that. <laughs> yeah, look. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm just kind of looking based on what you've been hearing. Is there anything that we should be looking out for? Is this going to go all the way down to the wire in a month and a half? Well, it'll only go to the wire if Chelsea let it go to the wire and if Chelsea are prepared to take that risk. Um, I don't get, look, I, I don't get any sense. The, the most important thing is is what Dortmund are doing and what Dortmund are saying, because I think it's fairly clear if there's a deal to be done, Chelsea would be trying to do that deal and have certainly explored it. Um, Dortmund are showing no signs of being inclined to sell him at the moment and they've just sold Jadon Sancho for £73 million they played a similar game on Sancho last last summer when they just said the whole time despite the fact that 
no one believed them for a long time. They said the whole time they weren't going to sell Jaden Sancho, and they didn't sell Jaden Sancho. Um, and the, the fact they they sneaked in the Champions League and they've got this money in from Sancho, but they don't seem inclined to do anything at the moment in terms of, of selling Haaland. Um, and they are a club who are, you know, are quite good to their word. Some clubs might say this, and you'd think, well, okay, they've got to say that, but Dortmund are pretty tough cookies when they want to be, and they they tend to, you know, it seems there's maybe a policy there to, to sell one big one each summer, um, and they've sold one big one this summer, which I don't particularly think helps Chelsea, especially as they've, they've done it quite early in the window. So, look, there's not been a lot reported because not really anything's particularly changed. As you say, Chelsea's position is clear. And at the moment, Dortmund's position is clear. So unless Dortmund's position budges, it's it's how long Chelsea are willing to let this play out until they they really have to think about uh, accelerating something else or think about, well, is this a deal we can set up for, for next summer and we go with what we've got for this summer? And obviously complicated in that is the fact that, that Tammy's future is slightly tied up in what's happening because I'm told that Chelsea don't want to, A, don't want to commit to a ridiculously high fee without knowing that they can potentially, that there's, there's someone lined up for Tammy. Um, and B, they also <laughs> don't want to sell Tammy now and potentially because Giroud's gone, they'd be in a terrible situation in terms of negotiation for a striker because they'll be walking around with money in their pockets and everyone knowing they're desperate for a striker even if it were only a squad striker. So, it's a it's a tricky business. It's a really tricky business, and I don't think it's I don't even think it's clear cut. It's not clear cut who they will end up getting, and it's not even clear cut they'll end up getting one. To be quite honest with you, at the moment, well, surely they have to add one striker, right, just to make up the numbers. Well, not if they don't sell Tammy. They don't because Kai Havertz has it was very subtly moved mm-hmm. on the Chelsea website that Kai Havertz is now listed as a forward. He's very much the false nine, they've still got Timo Werner and they've still got Tammy Abraham at the club. They, okay. If you spoke to someone, I don't know whether Thomas Tuchel would say this, but if you spoke to a lot of people at Chelsea, they would say that they've got three first-team forwards at the club, which is generally what they've operated on is three first-team strikers and forwards. So, look, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they start the season with those three forwards if, if they can't do what they want to do. I am told that despite Lukaku's public declaration before the Euros, I'm told there are still talks on the background going on. I don't think anything's been given upon on Lukaku. I could still see that definitely coming back to the fore at some stage. I think there are talks behind the scenes on Lukaku. Um, I know that they've had another go on Kane, but they're just not going to get Kane. Um, But they're serious. Tuchel's serious about Kane. Tuchel doesn't care about this kind of rivalry between Tottenham and Chelsea. Tuchel's serious about Kane, but the board know that it's it's kind of 99% impossible. But I know for a fact that they've they've sort of, again, looked at that and, and seen whether they can get any talks going on, on Kane. So I, I wonder whether Lukaku's still the most likely at this stage of, of all three. And then whether they then... Then it gets interesting if we get to the last week of August... Do you take a bid on Tammy and and try and bring in a stopgap? And do you get involved in a Danny Ings or someone like that? But 
that for me would be would be strange business to let a Tammy go to bring in a, a Danny Ings. Yeah, Chelsea Youth put out a, uh, a, uh, player, a radar. Bomb. Yeah, player radar that it wasn't really close in terms of production last season, uh, even though Tammy was not a nailed on starter for a large chunk of it. it so your, your confidence meter, just to cover back on this, Matt, is Lukaku is most likely at this point, even though he's publicly declared that he doesn't want to leave, and that Holland is much, much harder, and Kane is almost a no-go. At the moment, and this is so changeable, but at the moment, I would say that Lukaku is more likely than Haaland for the fact that Inter Milan still need money no matter what they say. No matter what Lukaku says, there is an emotional attachment to Chelsea. Um, and I, I think that one is probably slightly more doable at the moment with Dortmund not budging. If Dortmund's position all of a sudden changes, you know, if if they get wind that, 120 million bid and, and that changes their position, then everything changes immediately. Um, but yeah, and, and Kane's just, Kane to Chelsea, just absolutely no chance. I mean, it probably helps that Conte left Milan, but at the same time, Insaki came in and talk about like legendary player status. So I'm sure Romelu Lukaku at some point is probably like, well, you could see this. So there's more transition in the Inter Milan uh, camp to your point, Matt, then, then Dortmund, they're very much set in their ways and know what they're doing. Um, I think probably the one thing that's slightly disappointed Chelsea is I, I suspect, and I've, I've been told this, although not well enough to know it as absolute fact, which is why I haven't written it, um, but I suspect there was a, a hope inside Chelsea that after Conte left that Lukaku might actually agitate to leave and to, to try and join Chelsea. And while I could still, still see him joining Chelsea, I think it's fairly clear he's not actually going to agitate to leave. You know, if he has to stay, he's fine staying. So he's not going to force the issue himself, which was probably a disappointment to Chelsea because I suspect that they they hoped that with the financial problems and Conte leaving that he might actually push it for them. And you're, and you're still hearing an absurd number for Holland, right? We're at 150 million pounds. Yeah, and, and, you know, the wages are absurd and the, the agents' fees are absurd. And do you know what? I've... I've actually found my opinion of this deal slightly changing. I, I'm, I would be, I, I'm slightly wary of any team paying those kind of numbers for. He, he's look. I, I said this on something else the other day that he's clearly an excellent striker. And I'm sure he would be a success in England, but he's he's played in the Bundesliga and done it in the Bundesliga. That's a see, that's a league where Timo Werner was the fifth highest goal scorer in the whole world. You know, there is there is sufficient evidence that players coming from the Bundesliga aren't guaranteed to hit the ground absolutely running. And they may need a year, they may need two years, and they may never hit the heights they did in the Bundesliga. I suspect Erling Haaland would, but he still might need a year or two to do it. Now, I'm not sure you can pay £150 million plus the probably £300,000 a week, plus whatever agent's fees Mino Raiola wants and take the risk that the guy might need a year or two or might even never be quite as good as we thought he was. I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I do think there's, on the on the money involved in Haaland this summer, I think it, there's a massive gamble involved. And the money involved in Haaland next summer from, from what we think the contract was is around 70, 75 million, then it, it's a complete no-brainer. But to pay double that and all the extra fees for someone who's done it in a league where... It doesn't always 
it doesn't always tally that they come and do it straight away in England. I, I, I'm not sure that's a good deal. I'm really not sure that's a good deal. I'm not sure it's a sensible deal. All right. Well, um, moving on to midfielders, uh, when we last spoke is right when you dropped the news that Rice was holding out signing a new deal at West Ham. So any update with Declan Rice in general? Uh, it sounds like uh, Tuchel's definitely looking at the midfield as a, as a place to add some, some fresh faces as well. Yeah, I mean, Declan Rice and Mykonos with a lot of the England lads at the moment. So nothing's going to... basketball on a yacht. I mean... <laughs> yeah, he's with... Funnily enough, he's with Mason Mount, who he seems to spend his whole life with. Um, but um, it's it, look, it's... Declan has now rejected two contract offers from West Ham, both of which uh, would have made him, if not the highest paid player at West Ham, certainly one of the highest with the promise that he would very quickly become the highest. Um, they may well offer him another one. I'm told that at this stage he would reject that as well. He wants he wants to be informed of any bids that are made for him. He has he was already interested, obviously, in coming back to Chelsea, and now he's just been away with England, spent the whole time in Mason Mount's pocket. Um, he's seen what it's like to be among all these players are at clubs who win leagues, who win Champions Leagues. And he wants a taste of it. It's as simple as that. He he doesn't, I don't think it's disrespectful to West Ham. It's what happens when a lot of these players go with England. They sort of see what life could be like or what life is like for a lot of their peers and what they're competing for. And, and they want it for themselves. And, and Declan's sort of desire for that has accelerated for sure while he's been with England. And it's made his desire to make a really top move, whether it be Chelsea, Man United, who are probably the two most interested clubs at the moment, um, whether it be either of those. But he certainly, I don't think it's as straightforward to say as he wants to leave West Ham. But certainly if a bid comes in for him from a, a Chelsea, from a Man United, from any club who are going to be competing for honours, he wants to know about it and he wants to make his mind upon it. Um, he's got three years left on his on his current contract, so West Ham still have a little bit of wiggle room on that. But they'll be reluctant if they know he won't sign a new contract. If they absolutely know for sure he will not sign another contract at West Ham, and the rest of the world know that he's rejected contracts, they will be slightly reluctant to let it go to two years because his value will start to drop because. If it's public and if it's clear that he will just never sign another West Ham contract, his his value will, will start to decrease for them. So even though he's got three years left, it will put them in a tricky position. And West Ham will tell you that they want 100 million for Declan Rice. People around West Ham and around these deals tell me that they think that West Ham would have to have a serious, serious think about any bid that came in over £60 million because of the situation. Right, right. Um, just a quick follow on another midfielder that we've been kind of tracking. Is there any update on Chelsea's interest in Chuameni at this point? Not, not that I know of. I, I, did I did I speak to you when I, I, I was doing the Cesc Fabregas columns and he, he was telling mm-hmm. me that he's desperate for him to stay at Monaco and he, he thought he would hopefully stay at least one more year. But no, I, I'll be honest, I don't I don't have an update on him other than knowing that he is certainly on on the Chelsea radar. Um my my worry about someone like him is, is however talented he is, with, with, uh, with someone like Declan Rice, you're going to have to pay a premium, but he's already 
he's not the finished article yet, but he's already coming in at a very clear level where he can definitely go in and perform at a certain level. And he's a leader. He's he's definitely a leader and he's a character. And you don't get many of those these days in in, in football. Um, mm-hmm. And he would be a leader and a character that you're signing for the next sort of 10 years. And Jumani is very different in that he's obviously a very talented footballer, but he's he's a young lad from a, a foreign country. He's a French lad. I, I don't get the sense that he's an outgoing sort of leadery type. He's, he's a lot younger than Declan Rice for starters. And I think it would be, I think it would be tough to see him just as the, the, the immediate alternative. Cause I don't think, even though he's obviously very talented and would play in a similar position, I don't think the two things are comparable. One is you're signing a premier league ready international footballer played at a major tournament and is a leader and one is a hell of a lot of promise who's just had sort of a, a breakthrough season. I don't think the two things are comparable, personally. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the a lot of Chelsea fans are sold on the proven Premier League product after Chili B came in and, and you know, didn't light it up on fire immediately, but definitely settled in, had an excellent season. At the Champions League final, Matt, he was on our side defending by the stands he ran so much i mean he just was an absolute like committed to the cause it was it was fantastic uh but lastly obviously preseason's underway it's always funny to see the preseason training photos from chelsea because you're like they're still there (laughs) like (laughs) who is that again it's just it's an interesting interesting situation obviously chelsea beating peterborough united uh behind closed doors 6-1 um Ziyech with the hat trick I think Tammy and Christian scored as well someone else in there Bournemouth next week how what are you hearing how's preseason going is this just a a kind of like I guess how effective is the time right now with a lot of senior players gone well it's the same for for most clubs you know even even the lower ranking Premier League clubs these days they have so many internationals that it's the same for everyone um you're right with Chelsea. It's always funny, you know, the, the Peterborough lineup. I took quite, quite a close interest in seeing who played, and and you know, like like a lot of people, probably smiled at the fact that it was it was Ross Barkley and Danny Drinkwater in the in the centre midfield. But do you know what? I'm told that some of these lads who have never worked with with Tuchel before have come in and just sort of loved it under Tuchel, even though they know, you know, someone like Danny Drinkwater knows he he hasn't really got a Chelsea career and he's got no chance of coming back into pre-season training to try and force his way into the squad. But from what I'm told, they're, they're actually really enjoying it under Tuchel and it's been a really good atmosphere under him. There was that little video that was put out of when he met up with hudson Adoy again and, and had a joke with him in front of the cameras. Um, I think they've gone all off to Ireland today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the day they, they all went off to Ireland um, where probably a bit more serious fitness work will you know, once you get into the camp, as it were, the serious fitness work will, will really start. But they're going to come back in dribs and drabs. So like a lot of these clubs, it's going to be a difficult, strange preseason for them because you're getting players at such different times. And unfortunately as well, you're going to get players who pick up COVID. You know, they're all in Mykonos, Ibiza, on holiday, travelling around. I don't know which ones have been vaccinated and which not. I, I think a lot of the players who have been away with international teams haven't been vaccinated because they weren't vaccinated before the tournaments and international teams didn't vaccinate them during tournaments. So I do think it's going to be an interrupted 
first few weeks of the season as well. I think there'll be lots of clubs who have players unavailable because of COVID. I think there'll probably be clubs who have, I think Chelsea have already had a situation where the, the under-18s had to come back from somewhere. And I, I, I see that, that one of the clubs, I think it might have been Man City, had to shut down everything and deep clean. There's going to be a lot of that to start until they get in, back into that bubble for maybe two weeks. Um, I do think there's going to be little COVID outbreaks and there's going to be decisions made on early team selections that are forced through COVID as well. So I think it's going to be a tricky, tricky pre-season again because coming back in dribs and drabs, people's restarts getting delayed by COVID, it's going to be a, a, a difficult time. But I mean, Tuchel for the first time will probably at some point realise just how big that squad is because obviously he came back in a January and it was a big squad anyway. You know, it's a bigger squad than a lot, bigger first team squad than a lot anyway. But when you bring the loanees back in, um, that squad that he will have when everyone first comes in, it's going to be huge. I, I sometimes wonder how they sort of manage it. Um, interestingly, there'll probably be a third a third choice goalkeeper come in, I would imagine. I think probably looking for a homegrown. Marcus Bettinelli is, is, is one that's been mentioned. Um, he was at Fulham. Chelsea have actually looked at him in the past a few years ago as, as one of the, the two or three goalkeepers. So I'm assuming Lollyshon quite likes him. If they can get an, a homegrown one, that frees up another foreigner spot on the list, which obviously Giroud going as well. So apart from just the, the squad space, they'll be looking at that homegrown list in terms of Premier League and Europe quite a lot as well, because that, that dictates a lot of what they can and can't do too. And then we have this... We have this funny pre-season, uh, is it this charity cup with, with where they play Arsenal and Tottenham? Yep. I find that a strange one, I've got to be honest. I, I, I can't quite get my head around that. It's great that it's for charity. I, I find it odd that they're, they're playing sort of um, Arsenal and, and Tottenham over here, so used to those matches being abroad. But I suppose that's what we're all getting used to. The pre-season's got to look a little bit different than, than what we're used to. Yeah, there's the Florida Cup here, and I think it's like Inter Milan, Arsenal, a couple other teams as well. But yeah, I mean, it's very different. And then you you know that since those are charity matches, like it's probably not going to give you much competitive insight to the squad. You know, everyone's going to go out there, not get injured, and and see. But um, it's underway. I mean, I guess that that's where we're at. So this is the perfect time, Matt, for you to go hide for a couple weeks, get a little <laughs> detox from football. Uh, and, and when yeah. we come back, we'll be in the full swing of it. We've already mapped out our August calendar, and there's not a lot of off days. <laughs> That's just it. Well, what, what dates is the Super Cup the 11th? Yep. Super Cup's the 11th, isn't it? That, that's an interesting. That's always an interesting date for the diary. I'm actually um, I'm on a, I'm on a holiday then, so I won't actually be at the Super Cup, unfortunately. But that that will be. That's that, I would imagine. I know that the preseason everyone's in, in, interested in, but. That Super Cup game would be the first one that would really pique my interest. I don't get too interested in in preseason sort of before that too much. You, you can get led, you can get led up a lot of blind alleys by trying to read too much into preseason and, and players form in preseason. Do, do the do the first team players that advance all the way through the Euros typically get a month off? They get three weeks. Three weeks. Depend, I mean, obviously the club can set their own dates, but they get a statutory three weeks. So they've already had now, they've already had the best part, well, just over a week. So they've got two weeks left. And then it depends on when the club are calling them back after that and whether there's any quarantine necessary if they're coming back from places like yeah. Mykonos. I, I, that's another consideration. Yep, that, hmm. that would definitely be. 
um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much as always, Matt, for jumping on and sharing the insight. Uh, I know all of our fans really appreciate it and enjoy it. So again, just thanks for the time, sir. Cheers, guys. Look awesome. forward to seeing, seeing you again. Yeah, go check out Matt's newsletters always. Follow him on social. You know, go go give him a shout out. Go give him a thanks for coming on. He doesn't have to do it. So we're really excited that we've been able to get through an entire season with you, Matt. And we're already into uh-huh. the next season, technically. Uh, so this will be fun to have you. So anyways, Chelsea fans, more Chelsea content coming at you Friday with another Tweeds Transfer Notebook. Be sure not to miss that one. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Uh-huh.